Welcome to the Science and Sass Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things science, fitness, and motherhood. We're your hosts, Dr. Rachel Reed and Dr. Brittany Masteller. We both have PhDs in kinesiology and a passion for sharing science with the world. We created this podcast to have unfiltered conversations about complex topics that we think deserve attention. While listening, you can expect to learn everything from implementing the scientific method to raising little humans and how to keep your head above water through it all. This podcast will cover three major topics, exercise science, motherhood, and the fitness industry. We firmly believe that science is for everyone, that coffee should only be drunk out of a mug, and that lipstick makes everything better. So go ahead and hit the subscribe button and make sure to join us every Monday for our conversation with your favorite PhD buzz. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Science and SAS podcast. Today is a special day for us. We have our very first podcast guest. So we are very excited to welcome Dr. Mike Fidua, who got his PhD from the University of Georgia with Rachel, um, and Dr. Mike Esco, who got his PhD from Auburn University. So they're both currently faculty members at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa who work in academia, but also have a piece of uh, industry work that they do that they're going to talk about how they kind of bridge that gap and use both of those experiences uh, today. So we are so excited to have you both on the podcast today. And we'd love to just, you know, hear a little bit more about you and your career journey so far. Um, so Dr. Fidua, if you want to kick it off, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on this morning. This is really exciting and we're super proud to be your first guest. So um, like you mentioned, uh, Rachel and I shared an office for a few years at the University of Georgia, where we both got our PhDs and you know, graduated from Georgia in 2015 and spent most of my time there working uh, in the body composition and metabolism lab. And so weight loss interventions, physical activity interventions, exercise training. I started, knew that I wanted to go into the, the academic world. And so looked for faculty positions and, and really found a perfect fit here at Alabama. And so I've been here for six years, just recently put in for tenure this year. So we'll cross your fingers and see how that goes. And then, you know, I think my research kind of transitioned from what I was doing at Georgia, which was, you know, exercise training and, and physical activity interventions to teaming up with ESCO here, we've really kind of, we really dove into the measurement piece and, and kind of realized if you can't track changes, if you can't measure body composition, you, you can't track changes accurately. And so what we've been trying to do for the past few years is move what we do in the lab with the very expensive research grade equipment into kind of the mainstream and into field settings, right? So into the, into the gyms, into, um, into the athletics fields, things like that, so that we can take all those tools and measurements without sacrificing any accuracy. And so that's that's kind of where we've been for the past few years, and, and now we've transitioned into smartphone technology, and, and that has been an animal all in itself. So I'll let Esco kind of take it over from there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, y'all, for having us on. It's, uh, it's just a lot of fun to talk to you, and I uh, appreciate being your, your first guest. So 
honor for us. So yeah, I'm Mike Esco. I'm a, a professor um, of exercise physiology at the University of Alabama. Work closely with Dr. Fido in the research that we do. And, uh, my background is, uh, before I really got into academics, I spent a lot of years as a practitioner. I, I ran the gamut, I think, of what you can do with a degree in exercise science. I was I worked as a clinician in cardiac pulmonary rehab and worked as a, a strength conditioning practitioner as well. And, uh, but my, my first love and my favorite thing, I think, in the past that, that really got me into doing what I do now is being a personal trainer. I loved working one-on-one -on -one with clients and helping them through their fitness journey and getting to know them. And, you know, it was just such a, an important role to play. But from that point, you know, really understanding how important it is to monitor progress, to really show people, um, you know, the, the improvements that they're making. It's frustrating because there's, you know, the, the accurate techniques to do that are not, not accessible. Uh, so, so basically what uh, that has kind of, uh, kind of, you know, led us, led me to, to the overarching kind of goal of my research is take what we do in the lab and bring it to practitioners, whether that be monitoring changes in physical fitness or monitor, monitoring some, some other physiological variables that, that may relate to readiness to perform or recovery things of that nature. Well, we're super excited to have you both. And I think even from listening to the intros, our audience is going to be pumped to learn from you because it's very clear that you both have a depth of personal experience from lots of different points, right? Like you obviously have doctorate degrees. Um, you are faculty members now. You've also both had experience with things like personal training, working in the industry. And so that's a very unique combination of skills to find today. And I think it's it's pretty cool because that's lending itself right into the app that you guys have recently launched that we're seeing on Instagram. I know it's, it's gaining a lot of traction over the past couple of months, especially. And as far as I understand it to be the premise behind that is to bring you know research into practice, to have a tool that allows people who are personal trainers, who are practitioners to use the science you know, from exercise physiology labs, but in the field a little bit more easily, right? There's a lot of research that shows tracking progress and monitoring progress helps uh, elicit behavior change. And so what a very cool opportunity for you guys to bring that to life. We'd love to hear more about the app. Yeah, it's actually been, it, it has been a lot of fun. And I think what you mentioned, you know, being able to track and measure with you know kind of the accuracy that we would have in the lab i think that's a really cool tool and i think you know one of the things that we've stressed with with other with the users and with kind of our other other practitioners is that you know we don't want to focus completely on body composition so that's not the end all be all of progress and so that that is one thing that we've we've always kind of stressed when we've talked about the app is that this this can measure progress and it's a tool that can that can be used to track changes but it's not the only thing right so there's physical activity monitors and diet trackers. And so you can monitor water intake and steps and exercise. I mean, so there's a lot of other ways to measure progress and make sure that you're living, you know, as healthy as you possibly can. So this is just, a, it's another tool in the toolbox that you can use. And we think it's pretty cool. And, you know, I think the unique thing about the app and then, and then ESCO can kind of expand a little bit, but it was, it started with research and it started by accident. And we, we had, we did not have a plan to, launch the app and you know take this into the mainstream and, and then figure out how to do the science to get us there that the science actually came first and then we kind of went through the channels at 
at Alabama to to eventually take this to market. But you know, the, the patent process and the research process was what started it. So um, we, I guess we took a backwards route <laughs> to get where we are. I think that's really cool though, because I mean, I can speak from my experience at UMass. We did a lot of testing of consumer devices for physical activity monitoring, and it was the opposite, right? The device was already created. The technology was already created. And then we had to like backtrack a lot of the time to test, validate all these things, uh, but we weren't necessarily a part of the initial process, right? Which I think is actually pretty common in academic industry relationships is that the product is created first and it's not created by, you know, the academic researchers. (laughs) So I think uh, the process that you both, that you followed to create this is, is pretty cool and also probably gives you a lot more autonomy as far as, uh, you know, the proprietary equations and all of those things um, yeah. that are normally a, a big giant secret to academics. Yeah, and actually too, and, and then, then I will actually let ESCO talk because I don't want to talk the entire time. But one of the, the weird things is that the users don't, they don't realize like they're part of the scientific process now. And so like that has been uh, a blessing in some senses because I think there's a, we have a ton of users who have been very open with their feedback good and bad, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, but one thing that I think for a lot of the users that is overlooked is that when when we designed the app, it was centered around the equation, the algorithm, right? That analyzed the images. The user experience is the, is the other part that we did not have. And so like when we launched, I think when people see apps in the app store, it's just expected that it's this well-polished, like perfect, like perfect machine. And there, there should be no bugs. There's no flaws. There's nothing wrong with it. And like the user experience is phenomenal. Um, but the first version of every app is this like minimally viable product. And so when we launched in October, it was just that, right? And so now I think, you know, over the past five or six months, the the feedback and the interaction that we've gotten from users has been really valuable. And so we're, we're thinking about new features, how we can make the user experience better. Like how do we get from the lab where we have these very explicit instructions and very kind of well-defined articulated research guidelines on how all the images should be taken and the setup is all, it's always constant and everything is the same and perfectly reproducible. How do we get that now into someone's living room? to somebody who's never seen the app before and so that has been a that has been a challenge but a but a fun it's a fun journey and yeah it's it's research right i mean that's that we have created the tool for research because we want to use it to create the largest database of norms for body composition that you know ever existed and we want to we want other researchers to be able to utilize it as well for their tracking changes or whatever purposes that they're going to utilize it so for that, we want the numbers to be accurate. We want our algorithms to be accurate. And that's what we, as scientists and living in the lab, that's what we really have really been, been focused on doing, the, the quantitative aspects of, of all of this. But now we are, uh, you know, we're, the feedback that we're receiving from users, we're taking that qualitative approach now to really make the app more user-friendly because the more people that are using it, the better the, the data is going to be the better the, the process of tracking changes in body composition will be. Um, so, so all of that is important to us. And we, you know, it, it's, we, ha- we get more out of our one-star reviews than we do our five-star reviews because there's a reason for, for that, right? A, a user isn't happy with their, their experience. Well, that's something that we need to dive into to make 
our process better and more convenient to them. Because again, our overall our overarching goal is to take what we do in the lab and put it in the hands of, of users and practitioners and let them run with it, right? So we don't have the ability to control, you know, when they when they are, are doing it at, at, at home or our practitioners utilizing it. So we don't have that ability to talk to them and coach them through that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, we, we take, we take all, we take all of our numbers, we take all of the, the feedback that we're receiving and we're doing research on it. I love that. That's actually a philosophy that we use at Orange Theory too. We, we're always interested in the feedback that's, you know, rating us the lowest because right. we know that that represents an area of opportunity for the user or in our case for the member. And we want to make sure we can be applicable to like the widest audience possible and serve people and help them move more. And so it's, it's cool that similarity that we share there. So body comp, um, this is obviously a topic that the four of us, you know, love talking about. It's a topic that uh, is hard, I think, for consumers to understand really well, because there's a lot of confusion about something called BMI and how that's different than body composition and why, for example, physicians use BMI. I mean, you, you can understand as a consumer, there's just a lot of information to, to sift through. So I'd love to dive into body composition a little bit more just from a science point of view, like what does that mean? What are the best use cases for it? And maybe how is that different from BMI? Can I defend BMI before, before ESCO tears it down? <laughs> yes, from a public health perspective, yes. yeah, defend um, it. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a few things that are, that are very important to recognize with, with body mass index. I think when we look at population trends from a public health perspective, the increase in weight in the United States and globally over the past five or six or seven decades is not because people are adding muscle mass. And I think, I think that is very true. So I think BMI and body mass index can be used to study population trends and, and really get a feel for like where we are as a society. And I think over the past you know few decades, a half a unit increase in the average BMI for men and women is that speaks to, you know, a lot of the adverse health consequences that we're seeing at the population level. And so I think for that purpose, BMI can be a very valuable screening tool. It can be a very valuable tool to kind of gauge population health. Um, but to your point, you're exactly right. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you what you're made of. And so um, we always want to put that caveat in there because everybody is like, oh, well, body mass index, you're saying that you should never be using. That is absolutely like we use BMI in every single one of our papers. Like we report it. It's a descriptive characteristic so people can get a feel for who our participants are, but it's not all they are. And it doesn't tell us all the information that we want to know. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox. Go ahead, Asko. Well, yeah, man, I certainly agree, you know, 100%. I'm, I don't think BMI is, is you know, a, a a bad metrics, you know, to, it certainly has its limitations, but it has numerous strengths. In fact, I would say the majority of people, uh, the large majority of people, and I've tested thousands of subjects in body composition uh, who have a BMI of over 30 are, are indeed obese, right? So, I mean, we, BMI, when we get into athletes um, or, or with aging, it can have some, um, you know, it can misclassify some people, but, uh, but, you know, body composition as a whole was poorly understood, right? So, I mean, most people think when they think of body composition, they think of body fat, and certainly that is a com component of body composition, but body composition 
in the book's term uh, definition is, is all the tissues, the relative proportion of all the tissues that make up the body, right? So fat is certainly a tissue, but then everything else, fat-free mass is just kind of lumped into that, you know, category. And most body composition techniques, like body fat uh, estimates, they group the body into fat mass and then everything else is fat-free mass. And that provides a, um, a, a, a bit of a, a source of error by doing that because it, it assumes that fat-free mass is the, the portion that's water, it's about 70%-ish, uh, is con constant across everyone, which is really not the case. It's you know pretty, pretty significant range of, uh, of um, total body water or hydration of fat-free mass. Uh, so tools that, that actually can measure um, total body water, like the multi-compartment model, are, are more accurate. But again, that's, that's really housed within the lab because you need an you know, underwater weigh-in um, for body volume and you know, some isotopic solution or, or bioimpedance for total body water. You know, DEXAs are used for, for, body, um, for bone mineral content and so on. So, um, you know, so, so our, our device that we've created is validated against the multi-compartment model. Uh, so, which is the, the preferred criterion now for body composition research. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, so it, it certainly tools like our, what we have can measure body fat percentage, fat mass and fat free mass to get a bit of a, a better idea of body composition that body mass index just doesn't really touch on. We, when you get a body mass index value, the units are kilograms over meter squared. It's not a percentage. So a lot of people think that, oh, my BMI is 30. That means I'm 30% body fat. No, that doesn't mean you're 30% body fat. It's just the calculation of height to weight and how that um, was derived came out to be that particular value. So it's, a, it's just a, a height to weight ratio. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, if, if BMI is coupled with body fat percentage and, and, and then we can get a better idea of one's body composition. You know, but BMI certainly does a better job than just the scale. And a lot of people think that the scale could throw the scale out the window. Well, we can't do that because we need body weight before we can really calculate anything else. Body fat percentage and fat mass and fat free mass. So the scale is very important. The scale can be pretty telling in terms of changes, tracking changes in body composition. Um, but, but oftentimes we put too much emphasis on the scale. You know, <laughs> most of the clients that I've worked with in weight loss, I've had to take their scale away from them. I had to force them to give me their scale because they weigh every day, you know, or sometimes multiple times through the day. And, and, you know, doing that, it can give you kind of a false idea of what's, what actually is occurring. Yeah. I think that's so, it is really different when you're talking about talking about these subjects to a client versus, you know, like other scientists, right? Because I think body composition is poorly, poorly understood. And if it's not explained to them by the professional that they're working with, whether that's a trainer or a physician or whomever, they do kind of misunderstand what the difference is between BMI and body composition and body fat and weighing myself, like how these are all connected. Um, because I don't think that it's really explained very well. And I know I have a lot of uh, friends who are part of, you know, a gym community or something like that. And I, I think Rachel at Orange Theory, you use the bioelectrical impedance analyzers, which, uh, you know, they use a segmental model where it's, you know, they're sending 
multiple frequencies, you know, how biological impedance works, but they get really frustrated sometimes with the fluctuations between uh, their measurements, right? When we know that equipment like that is so highly dependent on pretesting conditions and total body water and all of these things that are just, you know, like you said, really poorly understood. So, you know, when reading about your product that with the app, uh, I feel like this is maybe one way to just add another layer of context. Um, can you talk maybe a little bit about how those compare, or I know you mentioned you validated these, this product against a multi-compartment model. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and what that means? Yeah, that's actually the, the educational part has been something that we've been dealing with, not for the, our general users, but it's actually, we've realized there's a teaching opportunity and there's a lot of misconceptions about the accuracy of these different techniques to measure body composition among practitioners. And, and I think that has been something that we, we never thought of before. We'd, when we have these different techniques, like you guys mentioned bioimpedance, or we have skin folds, or we have underwater weighing, or the DEXA, one person measured on each one of those devices will have different estimates of body fat and body fat percentage. And so to, to understand that, like we've, we've taken the app and we've, we've demoed it and we've showed it to different gyms and trainers and people have used it and they've gotten their numbers. And we've had feedback that has said, well, your app says I'm 17%, but I had my bioimpedance done yesterday and it said I was 15%. And so you, this is wrong. Or I just had my underwater weighing done and it said I was 21% fat and you guys have me at 18.4% fat. So you guys have to be wrong. And so that is, that's actually for us educational because now we have to think, okay, how do we, how do we now teach all of our users, practitioners, trainers, strength coaches included, like how do we get this message out that each one of them is just estimating what you're made of. And there's a source of error with all of these different techniques. Um, I think that has been, that has been a kind of a barrier for us. We, we didn't recognize that that was something that we'd have to be dealing with also. And so that, that has changed our messaging a little bit with the way that we've approached not just the general population, you know, our general users, but, but also our coaches that we're partnering with too. Yeah. And we, we know we have a mountain to climb, right? Cause we're, we're telling people that you can accurately measure metrics of your body composition from just a picture. And there's a lot of skepticism centered around that. When we completely get it, we were skeptical. Um, you know, that's kind of what we're trained to, to do is, is to question uh, processes. Right. So, um, you know, and, and when, a user or a researcher or a strength coach or whoever takes a measure and get a, and receive a different um, estimate than a bioimpedance or an underwater weigh-in or some of those other techniques that have been around for a long time. Uh, we can talk about our research till we're blue in the face. It's just, we haven't been around long enough to develop that, that trust, uh, you know, that, that you actually can based upon how much space a person takes up within a picture uh, estimate their body volume and then how body volume is uh, then relates to the body fat percentage and all the other metrics is some, um, you know, to, 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 to really explain that to people is more difficult than we really thought that it was going to be. Um, but, you know, it's like when underwater weigh-in is the, like the, the, the traditional gold standard um, that's probably in every exercise phys lab that measures body composition, uh, you'll find an underwater weigh-in tank, you know, people trust that for the most part. But when that first came out, I would imagine it also received skepticism. 
You know, you mean you can actually measure body fat from how much water is displaced? Well, you can estimate it. The only real way to measure body fat is to actually cut it off of people and weigh it and then, you know, compare that to their total body weight. Well, can't really do that to a living person. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges we face just with people, you know, gaining that trust from people. One of the things that you're saying about, you know, how a lot of those, the gold standard or criterion techniques are in the lab. I mean, the beauty of the app is that it can be in the hands of the user, right? Like an underwater weighing tank is super expensive. It requires a lot of repetition for, you know, the researcher or practitioner to administer the test correctly. Like, I mean, I feel like I was traumatized when I was learning how to administer it, right? Like I remember, remember Mike, that it was like a dungeon room in the basement of UGA where that <laughs> yes. thing was. I mean, I, they're always in a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, they're always in a weird dungeon. And it's sort of like, that's probably not going to be in an Orange Theory studio, right? Or it's not going to be in a crunch fitness or an, a big box gym facility either, because that just doesn't make any sense. But people certainly have their phones with them all the time. So I think it's this accessibility piece that to me is so fascinating. Of course, the science I love, but that idea that everyone can use this and that everyone can learn about the technique and learn about body composition is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I, th I was going to say that I think that, um, you know, the ability for so many people to use it is awesome for you both, probably from a data standpoint, because you're going to be able to collect so much more data and refine your methods in such a greater way because you're going to have access to so many more people, which, you know, non-scientists might not think that, but I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I mean, if you have all of these data points, the way that you're able to refine some of your algorithms and how you're calculating these things and also analyze the data is going to be so much more powerful when you have this really, really large sample because it's so accessible. Yeah. yeah the, right. the, the access is a blessing and a curse. So we were talking, we were talking with a gym the other day and they said that they had their bioimpedance scale sitting like on the, on the floor, you know what I mean? Like out so everybody can access it. And they were talking about members going and taking their bioimpedance measurements, like before their workout, during their workout and after their workout. So they were getting three, you know, they were checking their body fat percentage three times while they were at the gym, just that one day. And so that, again, that's access but you know, giving access to this tool without you know teaching how to how to use it appropriately is kind of the same way, right? You wouldn't just you wouldn't just throw somebody in and be like, okay, here's an underwater weighing tank, good luck, figure it out, right? And so that that's the same kind of way with bioimpedance. You wouldn't just go, hey, here's a bioimpedance scale, here's your numbers, figure out how to use it. They may or may not be accurate. Um, it's kind of the same way with the app. Like we we gave this tool, and now we have to trust that it's being used kind of the way that we designed it. And we have to teach people how to use it kind of the way that it is supposed to be used and appropriately. And, and now, now that we've given people their numbers, how do we now educate on what those numbers mean? So we kind of take the fear away from the numbers a little bit so that people can kind of understand a little bit more about what they're made of and um, yeah, put, put context around those values. I mean, this it's, like I said, we're, we're researchers by trade and, and we are, we are learning <laughs> so much from, <laughs> from being out kind of in the mainstream in, in another part, the feedback is so immediate. I mean, the, the, in academics, it's months and years <laughs> before you get feedback on a paper that you've written and nobody really reads them anyways. And so the feedback now 
we have we have email and social media accounts and so we i feel like we spend most of our day responding to user questions and feedback and it's it's instant right they download the app they try it and we have feedback immediately from some you know from them if it doesn't go well or if there's an issue that we can kind of walk them through and so that um, yeah, the access is something that's so foreign to, to our field. Yeah, and, and, and like you mentioned, most of those other um, body composition techniques, it, it requires like a technician to, to, to use. And, you know, like bioimpedance, you wouldn't want someone just to stand on the scale and do it on their own. A technician should be there to kind of coach them through and actually plug in their data and make sure it's correct. Um, well, with that, it brings something else too. It's on the user's perspective. There's a lot of, you know, it takes a brave person sometimes to step up and, and allow someone to do their body composition measures and share with them personal things like their weight and, you know, what their body fat percentage is. And a lot of people just don't want to do that. They don't want to have that shared with someone else. Well, the, the, the strength there of our, um, of our application is that we well, you a user doesn't really have to share their information with anyone. They can take the measures themselves. Um, it, it is, it, it's the simplest technique on, on the market. I mean, it's just all it requires is a picture. And well, that may sound simple, but there's there's other things that come into play. The person has to stand correctly. They have to wear the, the appropriate clothing. Um, and that's where we're kind of getting some, some feedback from users in terms of how we explain that to them and communicate that to them and prep them, uh, help them to prep themselves uh, appropriately, you know, if, and if, if all of those things are, are uh, all of those assumptions, if you will, are met, then our accuracy is, uh, we're, we're, we're more accurate than a well-performed uh, skinfold measure. Um, we're just as accurate, if not more than, than a, a more advanced bioimpedance scale, um, like what we were uh, mentioning before. Um, so yeah, when we, we have the accuracy, that's just, it's, it's comparable, if not better than, than common, you know, body composition measures, but we're much simpler. Can, can, can we like joke real quick and I tell you guys the funniest feedback we've gotten from users. So <laughs> yeah. just, just to kind of lighten the mood from the serious research talk. So the, the best feedback that we've gotten from users, um, we had a, a user try the app and upload an image of them and immediately reached out and said, the app is garbage. The numbers that I'm getting are all wrong. It says that I'm like 60% fat and I know that's not true. And so we asked, we can't see the images. So we asked the user to send us the picture that they scanned so that we can kind of help them troubleshoot. And in the, in the app, we kind of give them guidelines and say, feet, heels together, stand against a blank wall, keep your arms away from your body so we can find some landmarks on your trunk, on your midsection, and make sure that we can see your head and your feet in the image, right? Because we have to figure out how tall you are in pixels to figure out, you know, what, what you're kind of made of. And so the user sends us a picture and it's a picture of them, no joke, like in the gym, working out, part of their head is cut off, the image stops at their knees, there's weights in their hand, and it's taken at like a weird angle, like they were posing in front of the mirror. And so we looked at that and said, this is a learning opportunity for us, right? So the, the on-screen instructions, um, how do we get the, the users to pause and read and actually like, okay, cool. Like there's very specific ways that I have to stand. And that was, a, that, was just, that was just a normal person. That was us. That was me or you or my mom or my mother-in-law downloading the app. 
and uploading a picture, but it's also been strength coaches too. And so we are working with a few strength coaches at universities and we gave them again, very specific guidelines on make sure we can have the top of the head and the bottom of the feet and the entire image of the athlete is in the, you know, in, in the scan. And they say, okay, cool, Doc, we got it, right? We'll, we'll, upload the, we'll upload some pictures and see what we got. So the picture that we, that we found, again, scan, scan gave some weird numbers, was a little bit higher than what they thought. We said, can you send us the image real quick? And uh, taken from the other side of the gym, right, basketball court, uh, the person was about, I'm holding my fingers up right now so the users or so the listeners can kind of imagine what I'm saying, but imagine that you're pinching a pea um, the, the, the athlete was about the size of, of a P in the image. And they were like, Hey, I uh, can't figure out what's going on with the image. And like, I would have had to take a magnifying glass to figure out what this person was in the scan. And like the entire gym was in the background. And so that again, is an educational piece, like top of head, bottom of the feet, like technically the guidelines on how we instructed the image, like how you should take the picture. Technically that's true. Like we nailed it. But again, we have to be, how do we better explain how the image should be taken like how do we prompt the users like how do we give them more explicit instructions and that that again is so valuable to us because those represent two of the extreme ends and we've got to figure out how to make this accessible and accurate for everyone so it's it's been wild but it's been fun and i think you know the, the feedback and people being so open and feeling comfortable reaching out and saying this is weird, right? I don't think my numbers should look like this. And then allowing us to kind of work with them to, to figure out what could have, what could have caused the error. I think that's, it's been stressful at times. It's been so much fun though, because I think it's going to help us deliver a better, a better app. So thank you to everybody who has, <laughs> who has downloaded and given us feedback. It's, it's been a ride. Yeah. It's like, it, that's so funny. It's, you know, having to be very explicit um, on every level, especially because you aren't there. Right. I mean, you know, you aren't that you don't see the pictures unless you, it sounds like something happens and then you ask them to send them send the picture that they uploaded. But if you don't see that, um, giving instructions so that hopefully it's what, you know, very explicit so that it does do what it's supposed to or else, you know, everything gets all wonky. Yeah. And I mean, too, like, we want, we want everyone to use the app. Like we want this, we want strength coaches to use the app. We want them to use the app to track changes in their athletes. And, and, it, and it can be when, when like you do everything the way that, that we kind of outlined in the way that the research kind of requests, like we, we think that it can be used as a surrogate measure for a lot of the traditional field-based techniques. And, um, you know, so I think that that is the other thing too. Like it's, we, we want the feedback we want to hear what, what everyone, you know, kind of feels and, and what they think. And if they're expecting a pop-up window here or a text prompt here or a little call out button here to kind of walk, you know, walk folks through and, and make that experience better. Like we want, we want all of that. And so, if, you know, again, for really well-educated professional strength coaches at the collegiate level, how do we, again, like we want them to use the app. So how do we get you and your athletes the best experience possible here? Yeah, we, we want to be clear too, uh, crystal clear that the only way we see the image is if someone sends it to us, right? We do not see pictures from our end and that, that user um, was nice enough to share with us the image so we could learn um, what was could, perhaps could, could be going wrong. So um, yeah, and, and a number of, of our users have been like that too, have been willing and nice enough to share the picture with us uh, because they want to, they they downloaded our app. They want to use our app and they want to figure out what they're doing wrong. 
as well. So there's a disconnect. And through time, we we know we're going to make the process easier to mm -hmm. understand. I mean, we're we had it in our mind. Well, I mean, it's a picture. You know, you just stand and hold your arms out. Uh, it's not like we're trying to tell somebody, okay, drop yourself in water, blow out all of your air, weigh yourself, and then run this calculation. <laughs> you know, uh, it is it is easier, but still, um, you know, there's that thought. It was like, well, I could just take a, a selfie. I can just, you know, there's something magical within the picture. Only if you're are doing everything right. Yeah, I think that's it's so funny to hear of like, this is science in real time, right? Like you're refining your whole process and probably strengthening the algorithms and learning as you're getting this feedback, mm -hmm. which I think is, it's super cool to be witnessing science nice. in real time. So That's I great. love that. One of the things that you guys um, hinted at before is that you want strength and conditioning coaches or personal trainers to be able to use this to show progress in athletes or in people. And I love the data visualization that you guys are using on Instagram to show that, right? Because it's one thing to have like a snapshot in time of your body composition. And it's quite another to monitor it over, you know, months, you know, years over a long period of time to see how you're improving or maybe how your training or nutrition is impacting that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Go ahead, Esco. I feel like I've been talking everybody's ears off. This is your show. <laughs> uh, you've done done really well uh, managing our time. So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it is important, right, to to track progress because it's most important for a user to compare themselves or, or an exerciser or an athlete to compare themselves to themselves, and not necessarily across to other people. And that's one of the part of the big confusion around body composition is this drive for thinness where everyone's comparing themselves to what they see on a magazine cover, which is, you know, that th those images should just be a cartoon image of someone, you know, of, of a, of a fake person because there are you know, pretty much for the most part are they've been photoshopped and um, a per person's not walking around daily life every day looking like that, you know? So, um, you know, so so if if a, if a user really compares to themselves, then they're going to be much better off, right? So get a good, solid baseline assessment, and then from that point, track changes. And with this device, you can do it more frequent than the other devices. You know, like DEXA would take months to redo a DEXA scan, underwater weigh-in. We're not going to really see much changes in those um, until you know weeks down the road. With this device that we have, we encourage our users to pick a day during the week. Um, you know, same, same days, try to be the same time, have the same background wall, you know, and you try to keep it consistent as possible and let that be your check-in day and do it at least once a week. And that way you can, you can monitor your progress and you can even do it more frequently than that if you, if you prefer, but then you run the issue of really having, having too much and being too kind of obsessive with it. Um, like a lot of people grow with this, with a scale, you know, like I said earlier, they weigh themselves far too frequently. We don't want that to cause any issues, but um, but we certainly want to encourage people to do it um, appropriately, uh, you know, fairly frequently, once a week, and then track progress um, over time. Yeah, I love that, and I feel like that brings our conversation full circle because we kind of started out talking about how 
that self-monitoring or that awareness over time about how things are changing can help people adhere to their health and fitness goals and really help them uh, change some health behaviors. So I love that. Okay. So last segment, um, one of Britt and I's main goals for the podcast and of our social media platforms is to let people know that scientists are actually real people too right? Like, I feel like there's this weird thing that people visualize when they hear the word scientist. Uh, But I'm looking at the four of us on Zoom, and I feel like we're pretty normal, real people. So we'd love to just hear a little bit about, you know, we've talked about what you guys do for work, what you've spent your careers working on, but we'd love to hear, you know, who you are as people too. You want to know something really fun? Esco has a pet pig. What? (laughs) How is that for being a normal person? That is pretty part cool. Of, it's, it's part of my research. You know, I've been, been working with a pig model. <laughs> I live in the lab. I, uh, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have, my wife and I love animals and um, we, we bought a pig. She's always wanted a pig. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to buy, um, get a pig about a year ago. She's, she's actually a, a year old. Wow. She is she thing. tiny? Like, or is she, yeah, like, is she a like a real pig? pig? Yeah. So she'll probably get to be 85 pounds. Um, That's bigger pounds. than my dog. Yeah, I know. So, so a pig is like really dense, you know, so that's a small pig, right? Most pigs that you see like on a farm are several hundred pounds. She won't get that big. So she's, she's more of a mini, um, mini pig. Uh, so, um, so yeah, she lives in, in the house for the most part, snuggles up with us like a, what? Like a dog. we have this two other, so we have two dogs. And um, that's all she hangs out with. And she she's picked up barking. She'll start barking like they no. do. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That fancy. is awesome. Her name is Fancy. So wow. Yeah. Fancy. Oh my gosh. Matter of fact, like- I'm drinking a I'm drinking out of my wife's coffee cup right now. So all I care about all is- I care about is pigs and maybe like three other people and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about fun facts. Yeah, I know. yeah. Wow. So we have we have t- together. So she and I just uh, we 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 have we are uh, we got married in November. So um, you know, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So we're still in our in our honeymoon phase, and I would imagine that we're probably going to stay in our honeymoon phase our entire life because she's my <laughs> best friend. Oh, so that's awesome. Really cool. And, uh, we we you know we're we're real people. We have challenges through our life, and we certainly. have gone through a quite a bit of our own and um now we're uh, on some experience and some really good times with family she has two amazing kids and i have two amazing kids as well so together we have four um and and they're between the ages of 10 and 6 so oh, when they God. get together they're just that sounds busy yep yep <laughs> pick, pick my kids up today uh, uh after school and then we're all going to get together this weekend and you know we got to we got to a fun time ahead of us. I feel like two dogs. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like, um, so you had a pandemic wedding. I feel like surviving times and I feel like it brings partnership and marriage and to a whole new Yeah. That's what we were talking about last night. It's just, you know, all the challenges that we've gone through, it's kind of symbolic that we got married during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, bring some light to, to 2020. Yeah. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> no. And then we, I'm also married with 
two kids, not not married to Esco with two kids, but married <laughs> with two kids. And uh, we've been doing the pandemic juggle too, like like you guys have with the busy mom life. And so we're we're recording the podcast now. It's first thing in the morning. I don't know if you guys can hear, but I have a xylophone and rattles going in our playroom behind me. Oh, so can't hear it. <laughs> we're we're uh we're gonna stop recording the podcast after the episode, and then my wife and I are gonna switch roles and I'm going to go on dad duty and she's going to go into academic mom mode because she's also in a in a PhD program at Alabama in in autism and so we're balancing just like everybody else is out here the the craziness of at home quarantining and and socially distancing while trying to manage professional careers and parenting careers and yeah it's you know 2020 is is was a trip and kind of carried over to the first part of 2021 too so um, but you know what, we're, we're going to look back at this year and we have been incredibly blessed. Like everybody stayed safe. Everybody was healthy. We're never going to get this much time at home with our kids again. Even if Sundays it has driven us absolutely like bonkers, <laughs> <laughs> we're, ne we're never going to get, you know, this year back. So it's, it's been, it's been crazy, but it's been fun. Are your kids school age, Mike? They are. Uh, so actually we had, this is crazy. So we had our our son was born March 19th. So he's 11 months old today okay. when we're recording. He was born the week that the state of Alabama shut down because of COVID. So <laughs> when the whole pandemic was like just taking off and like, I think we had a handful of cases in the state, the hospitals were going on lockdown. The week that we were supposed to deliver, they were changing visitation in the hospital. So there was, there were no guests. Then there was there was only dads. There was one guest, like you had to tag in, tag out. Then there was, then it was just dad, but he had to come in and stay and couldn't leave at all. Um, luckily I was there for the birth <laughs> of our child. Um, but yeah, that was, it was, he was a, he was the beginning of pandemic baby. So we, we have been at home with a newborn for, for 11 months, keeping yeah. it all together. And then our daughter is, has just been an absolute rock star. She's four and is the most mature one in the house. And so she's kept us, she's kept I us all I can't believe sane. he's four. I know. How does that happen? Yeah. Like crazy. <laughs> we have said the same thing. You know, it's it's AJ. AJ is actually, AJ follows the account on social media. So um, I, feel, <laughs> I feel pretty special for that too. But yeah, it's amazing. Like people that you went to school with now are, are everybody has grown up and has real jobs and families. And like, I think when you have kids, you sometimes have, it feels like your social life takes a step back, right? Cause you now have to focus on this like other human being that you, you have to keep alive. And then uh, the pandemic has added like another step back because now we're isolating with kids and so yeah. now can't see anyone. And so, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, she's four and somehow we're, we're keeping it all, we're keeping it all together, but she's, she's grown. She's, she has dealt with the socially distancing better than the rest of us <laughs> for her every day for the past 11 months has been Saturday. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and she never gets out of her pajamas and yeah. every day has been pancake day because we don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. We've, my son is 14 months old, so we're pretty much have been pandemic life. So he had, yeah, funny, he's not been around like any kids, which is crazy. So looking forward to you know, some of those restrictions lifting so that I can socialize them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we've, we've actually talked about that. Like how has the pandemic and socially distancing affected our children's social development? 
And like, I can already feel like when, when we sit down, I'm having a conversation with an adult sitting across from me. She just happens to be three feet tall. And so yeah. <laughs> like the social development, I think she, she may skip from age four up to 14 because yeah, that's, yeah. she's been hanging out with two adults for the past year and, and zero kids. So people so, will be studying this for decades and decades. oh yeah oh yeah I'm thinking like I did my postdoc in a sociology department and they they ask questions like this all the time you know and I'm thinking this is like a gold mine for people who study yes. people <laughs> uh, well thank you guys so much for being here today so we've covered a ton we learned a lot about you and you know your product my made app uh, we'll make sure that we link all of the information for, for these guys below in the show notes. Um, it really is changing the way that, you know, we think about fitness, how we assess it. I know we have a lot of fitness professionals who listen to the podcast. So if you're interested or this sounds like something that you'd be interested in for yourself and or your clients, make sure you check it out. Um, and we've learned a little bit more about you guys as people, which is also uh, really cool. So I guess we'll end with, you know, is there any you know, message or final words that you want to leave people with today before we sign off? Yeah, actually, guys, thanks for having us on. Like we, we do so much appreciate this. And to the listeners out there, I know you guys said you have a lot of practitioners. Um, come be a part of the app with us and, and let us learn from you. And I think that is one thing that, that I really want to hit home is, is we're, we're making the app and the experience better for everyone. And so we would like for you know, all of our, our practitioners and, and, and students, especially to try the app and check it out and see what they think. And then, and then give us some feedback. I mean, we're, we're learning and we want to make sure that this is the best possible experience for everyone. So yeah, let us, let us know what you think. Help, help us learn. Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for your time today. We're so happy that you were our very first guest on the Science and SAS podcast. I know it's the best day ever. <laughs> and to all of our listeners, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.